Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Glenn Stallsmith. Glenn is a pastor who serves two United Methodist churches in rural North Carolina. He's also a Ph.D. student at Duke Divinity School. For 12 years, he lived in the Philippines, working as an ethnomusicologist with Wycliffe Bible Translators. He's also the reviews editor of Global Forum on Arts and Christian Faith. I give you Glenn Stallsmith. Glenn, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be back. Happy Easter tide to you. We're winding down Easter tide. Getting close to the end. We're getting close to the end. It's uh, it's uh, like Little League Baseball, seven, seven Sundays, <laughs> seven innings, not a full nine. Right. <laughs> but, you know, we're, so we're, you know, coming into the home stretch here. And, uh, you know, as is customary in Easter time, our first reading is not from the Old Testament, the Israel's Bible, but from the book of Acts. We got Acts 1, 15 through 17, and 21 through 26. We got uh, Peter standing up among the believers, uh, a, a big crowd, and 120 folks, and he explains that the scripture had to be f- fulfilled concerning Judas and that they've got to replace him. And so they draw lots between. Barsabbas, Joseph called Barsabbas. I see why, because that sounds so much like Joseph. And Matthias, and Matthias, Matthias wins. So here we go. Interesting. This is actually how the Amish choose their bishops today and older Mennonites, I think. No kidding. Yeah. They still cast lots. Yeah. You know, like the people nominate people who they think are, are good candidates, but then they cast lots between the nominees. Yeah. This isn't a bad way to choose leaders, right? I mean, it's not like they cast lots for the whole crowd and narrowed it down through some kind of dice game. I mean, they really did pray and discern and and look and see uh, who matched the qualifications. It's just I think they probably just came down to to two people that both qualifications and both would would work. And they had to decide between the two of them. Yeah. And it seems like this could be a tough text to preach, but I think a couple of things are interesting. It. There's confidence that God is alive and at work in two ways, through scriptures and prophecy, that what happened, even the dark stuff, even the tragic stuff, even something that feels, it probably cuts the heart like Judas. And I'm sure this is not easy to do. Like, I'm sure the betrayal that they felt, you know, not, I'm sure Jesus didn't just feel it, but I'm sure the those disciples felt it. And yet they still trust that God's alive here and, and moving. You know, they've seen the risen Jesus ascended now, but there's still, it's kind of, it still is another one of those in-between times, right? The spirit hasn't really dropped on the scene. And yet they have confidence that God, you know, fulfills his word. And also that through the seemingly random process, God will also replace that hole and and continue, you know, the work uh, on the ground, so to speak, you know, bearing witness to this miracle that happened in and as Jesus. Yeah, and it's a fulfillment of what God had been doing through the people of Israel 
all along. I mean, the 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 number twelve for the twelve apostles is is not just plucked out of thin air. It's to represent the tribes of uh, of Israel, and so they needed to still be complete and whole, and not to let the evil one reduce their number or make them something less. Um, so even in these ten days between the ascension and Pentecost, you're, you're right; they're still at work, and there's still a sense that that all things still need to be brought to completion, which was what was on their lips just as Jesus was ready to ascend. Just earlier in the same chapter, verse 6, they're asking him, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And, and he, he puts that off, says it's not for you to know that time that the Father set. Uh, but they're still at work seeing how they can be a part of that restoration. And and adding a 12th apostle is is one of the ways. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I, I just posted a podcast recorded yesterday that my friend and colleague and co-belligerent Bill Bohr and I do uh, this podcast, New Persuasive Words, and we're talking about something. Bill was mentioning how, really, you've got two tribes that are still identifiable, Judah and then the Benjamites, right? Like, so, uh, like, right. Paul could self-identify that way. But then it's funny, this, these 12 are probably significantly, you know, symbolically connected to the 12 tribes, 10 of which are not really in existence anymore not around yeah yeah like kind of wiped from historical memory or scattered to the the earth right scattered i mean you know yeah i mean sucked up in sort of the exile and and so so it's interesting that you know just as judas is lost and yet there's a kind of reconstituting you know same with the this this whole left in the tribes you know there's god will reconstitute uh, you know, from every tongue, tribe, and nation. I, I thought of a fun way to preach this. Now, you'll note everyone will notice that there's a big. Please hole. tell me it involves props. Ah, uh, well, maybe I'll come up with one as I'm talking. <laughs> but you'll notice that in this text from Acts, there's this big hole, right? I mean, the whole suicide scene from Judas is dropped out. Um, I guess we want to keep the rating at PG or below. Um, right, for right. A good Sunday morning crowd, right? Um, but you could preach this and a, a lot of these other texts, including the Ascension texts, which could also be plopped into today. Um, most churches won't worship on Thursday the 10th on the true day of Ascension. So you could just shove all those into Sunday too. You have you have a plethora of texts to choose from. But you could preach any one of them, I think, from a fear of missing out perspective in that Judas was absent in all of them. Uh, even when we get to John 17 in a minute, when Jesus is praying for the for the disciples, all of them except for Judas are overhearing it. Um, so you could just you could just run headlong into the uh, this absence of Judas and make that make that your central your central theme to preach on this week. Yeah, Judas it, isn't there. Yeah, and you know it's interesting where you have yeah I like it because I, I I have preached a couple weeks ago on the Thomas texts in Eastern. It's part of you know, even though he he missed out, he doesn't stay away and alienate. He shows up, uh, you know, and, and, and again, I think that, that, you know, Bart says that all of Christian existence is Holy Saturday between death and resurrection. Mm. And even though they're post-ascension, it probably does feel like a Holy Saturday-ish kind of moment because, sure. you know, things haven't really taken off. I mean, Jesus has taken off, like, leaving on a jet plane. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like... But there, but full, the church doesn't seem to be fully, you know. Again, the spirit empowerment hasn't fully happened, and yet they're still showing up. They're still showing up, 
but you're yeah you're right i, I had the same thought in reading through this it, it really is that in between time jesus said you stay put don't go anywhere yet um they're still trying to be faithful to what that means um still trying to to move ahead without going anywhere um yeah i think it's i think it's a recapitulation of that same uh holy saturday experience they must have had let me go And let's move on to 1 John 5, 9 through 13, where here John is concluding the letter talking about the importance of testimony. And, Mm. you know, if we believe human testimony, the testimony of God is even greater. And he testified to his son and that those who believe in the son have that testimony in their hearts. So here, this is sort of, you know, this is... How does faith come by hearing and by the spirit, right? It comes through mm-hmm. through the spirit's work. So here we have this this John sort of wrapping up with the importance uh, of testimony and believing that then through that eternal life coming. And that testimony, that was one of the primary roles of the apostles, why they needed a 12th person. Their job was to testify. And that's why they wanted to pick somebody who had seen who had who had lived through the whole lifetime of Jesus from baptism um, until ascension. Uh, so yeah, that's probably why I would guess perhaps why these texts are paired together. Although First John has been consistent throughout Easter, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As is John and Acts, right? I think so. So Acts two, even though Acts we do a retrograde with Acts and jump all the way right. back to chapter one. Um, Another thing too that comes up here in First John chapter five is is the is uh, the instance of giving, um, and and how many times, um, um, and which again will be be well um, well rehearsed in John seventeen too, um, also. But the the giving and the receiving that happens here uh, that that we're testifying to and. and and just where we are positioned in relation to the Father's relationship to the Son. Yeah, and you know, I've been reading through in Eastertide Peter Lehart's fabulous commentary on First John, which is called "From Behind the Veil." And in it, he says he has this great passage because you know, before this, immediately before this, is this whole the whole sense that he's been testified to by water and the Spirit. Um, not just the word. Mm-hmm. It says, it's not enough to have a Messiah who comes by water. He must come by water and blood. He can't just fill himself with the Spirit. That Spirit has to be released. And it's released when he dies and pours out blood and water. By his death, Jesus secures the Spirit for his people as a continuing witness. This is how we come to have life, John says in verses 11 and 12. When we trust God's witness in Spirit, water, and blood, we have the Son. And in having the Son, we have life, eternal life. We don't have life unless we have the Son who is filled with the Spirit of life. And the only Son who has the Spirit of life is the Son who came by water and blood, not by water only. If we don't have the Son, if we don't have this Son, then we don't have life at all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. It's I feel like it's this powerful statement to about the convergence of the witnesses. You know, and you can't have one without right. the other, right? That these things are all 
necessary to have the, the whole Christ, the totus Christus. Yeah, and it all comes together in the sun. Yeah, that's not, that's great. Gospel of John, which interesting relationship. I've heard some scholars say that that First John might be something like a reader's guide commentary on right. the gospel tradition, like you know, over against sort of you know these people who are trying to draw the veil closed again or something in their reading of it. You know, so it's a very right. interesting. It's like okay, this is the authoritative reading on the on the gospel, and here we have Jesus praying for his disciples, and yeah. he. It's clear that that you know that he's made known to those who you gave who the Father gave him, and he talks about that intimate relationship, and you know prays for them, you know as they're you know going to be his people to, that they would be sanctified in the truth, and and has very similar elements to the Lord's Prayer that is prayed in most churches on Sundays. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's 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 not just easy to, to, to map it and say, oh, that, there's that verse, there's that verse. But there, there are certainly strong hints to it throughout, um, even beyond the pericope that's that's named for the reading today. The whole chapter kind of has those themes throughout it. Um, and and this is where we see uh, the verb to give show up something like 17 times here in this passage. So exegetically, um, I'm guessing that's important. You would think so. Yeah, that's give a us lot of times. Give or daily bread. Yeah. That's a lot of times. And, and I think not necessarily in this passage, but I just think as, as, as preachers and as theologians, we get hung up on the prepositions that come after give. We want to know whether it's to me or whether it's from you, um, who it's going to, who it's coming from. We're trying to kind of create like a, a spatialized map. We want to know what the Trinity looks like, <laughs> where is where's the Father in relation to the Spirit and the Son, and where do we fit in? You know, we like we like the charts and the diagrams that show where everything belongs. And and then we forget that the whole point of it is the giving, that it's in the active verb of giving. That's what Jesus is driving at here, not so much in mapping out who is where, but that the, it's, it's the giving of the Father to the Son. It's the giving of the Father and the Son to us. Uh, it's the participation of the spirit in all of that, which is important. Yeah, and you know, Dale Bruner in his his wonderful commentary on on John says that here in chapter seventeen, uh, in verses seven and eight, that we what we have is actually something like this apostolic, you know, John's apostolic Christology that mm-hmm. they've come to know four four realities. That everything you gave to me and that they've experienced in me comes from you. So this mm-hmm. connection with the Father. That the words you gave to me are the very words I gave to them, and they have accepted them as such, you know, the words of God. The third is that I really, and not just figuratively, came down from your very side. And the fourth is that they have come to believe that you sent me. And he says, you know, they, they summarized the apostles' four foundational convictions about Jesus, mm. and so teach the church that 
and so, and so teach the churches that want to be apostolic in the future what the founding apostles fundamentally knew and believed about Jesus. Good. So you could go with the four point sermon there. You could go with the four point here, the Christology of John. I've got I've got another uh, I've got a three point sermon that emerges from here that I could offer. Uh, three main requests that Jesus offers up. Uh, verse eleven that they may be one. Verse fifteen that they'd be protected from the evil one. And verse seventeen that they'd be sanctified in your truth. So we could together make a seven-point sermon. We could have a seven-point sermon. Would Congregations would love that. Yeah, no, but that's true. That's great. I mean, that, that's unity, right, and, and protection, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and holiness. I mean, you think of the marks of the church, you know, one holy Catholic apostolic. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to, if you wanted to take this on towards a, a lesson on how to pray, uh, encourage congregations to— The first thing you do is get the prayer of Jabez. <laughs> After you introduce the prayer of Jabez, then you say, well, "Here's the prayer of Jesus." Right, 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 right. That's a, yeah. That book would never sell. The prayer of Jesus, something obs- obscure and like formulaic and magical, like the Jabez. That works. The prayer of Jesus. Who cares about that? Because you wouldn't get past praying for unity. Oh, that's too hard. We can't do that. And when do we get to praying for you know to expand our territories and get more stuff? <laughs> that's right. That doesn't fit into this prayer. No, not at all. <laughs> but uh, but this whole aspect of belonging to the world is interesting, and it almost it almost seems like Jesus is is setting up a a, a, a dualism here, like ah, oh, they're, they're not of the world, they shouldn't be participating in the world. Um, looking at verse fourteen, for instance, but then he moves right into, but I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Verse fifteen. I just want you to protect them while they're in it. Yeah, I know it's interesting, you know, is that the world there is not catissis, right? Like creation, it's cosmos, mm. which is more like what we make of of the world animated by the flesh instead of animated by spirit. So it's you know, yeah. it's interesting there's this Jamie Smith had this great article called um Augustine's Two Cities and Luther's Two Kingdoms and talking about how different they are. But, mm. yeah, you know, and and that 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 the two cities are ways of being in the same space you know yeah. versus the two kingdoms which is a little something different like and and your loves are what separate you You occupy the same space yet with different loves and here i mean i think that yeah what separates them from the world is not something geographic but affections yep yeah so how are you going to work mother's day into this oh yeah yeah that's uh <laughs> mother's day is next week pentecost right the, the church no, mother, no the 13th no i know no, but it 13th. should be for christians it should be pentecost right augustine oh, yeah, says yeah. now you know what you right. need to go up and say on mother's day augustine said it great the church is this whore but she's still my mother <laughs> likewise with you ladies no, but, you know, but like but that's uh but you know that i mean i think that it's funny because that's mother's day right no one can have god as father without the church's mother mother's day should be on you know yeah so that's what i would do with it well everybody mother's day will be honored next week when our mother the church is celebrated excellent that's a nice move and sometimes mother's day does fall on pentecost it should always do that but just, just not the hallmark now. I think it's interesting, you know, that last prayer that they may sanctify in the truth. Uh, you know, this is um, Bruner's take on it. He says, and for their sake, I sanctify myself so that they too may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus sanctified himself. That is to say, he dedicated himself, set himself apart, especially by going to the cross for us all, where he was hoisted and where he finished, John nineteen thirty. everything most important in the world, the revelation of God, the reconciliation of the world to God, 
the full atonement for human sin, the, the satisfaction of God's wrath, justice, and righteousness, and the defeat of the devil and death. Jesus' aim in all this, he now summarizes, is that his sanctifying of himself will move his disciples to be themselves, sanctified in the truth. Truth in combination with love is probably the closest thing in human life to divinity. And it's the claim of the gospel that Jesus is that truth with love in person. Christians believe Mm. that the central truth of and the major reality in creation for one shining period in world history was encapsulated in a human life and was manifested to the world in the person and career of Jesus of Nazareth, as recorded now classically for us in the canonical gospels and perhaps quite especially in John's gospel. And this, and his sanctification, if we can say it that way, involves his ascension. Yes. Yeah. And John curiously doesn't talk about the ascension per se. Um, no, he folds sort of the the resurrection and the giving of the spirit all in. Yeah, it's not the same yeah. sort of Lucan account. But even, you can even read Luke though as seeing the ascension as just one continuous movement from the resurrection. That it's just all part and parcel of the same thing. Christ is being lifted up and and lifted up to logical or not logical, but the, the glorious conclusion uh, of his enthronement in heaven. It's interesting. Augustine in book four, of the confession says this on the ascension. He says he departed from our sight that we might return to our hearts and find him there for he left us and behold, he is here. Mm. I, w- I was just reading uh, uh, from Wendell Berry's novel, Jaber Crow. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and he's asking a similar question, but related to the crucifixion. Uh, he's asking why Jesus did not descend from the cross. He said, Jesus, Christ did not descend from the cross except into the grave. And why not otherwise? Wouldn't it have put fine comical expressions on the faces of the scribes and the priests and the soldiers if at that moment he had come down in power and glory? Why didn't he do it? I knew the answer. I knew, I knew it a long time before I could admit it for all the suffering of the world is in it. He didn't, he hasn't, because from the moment he did, he would be the absolute tyrant of the world, and we would be his slaves. Hmm. Even those who hated him and hated one another and hated their own souls would have to believe in him then. From that moment, the possibility that we might be bound to him and he to us and us to one another by love forever would be ended. That's beautiful. I think think that works, too, in thinking about why did he have to ascend? Why did and a lot of people think of the ascension as is Christ leaving us, leaving us behind? It, like it's something to be mourned, and and I think that same move works there too. If if he was still hanging around in his visible resurrected body, making appearances to people, we'd have no choice but to believe it, and that makes him a tyrant. Well, as you preach, and for all listeners who are preaching or listening, I hope that he's made manifest in the testimony of word and sacrament. Amen. Maybe so. Glenn, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Glenn for coming on the podcast. You can find his stuff at MeaningfulWorship.Blogspot.Com. And thanks to you again for listening. Till next time, friends, fare thee well. 